This podcast, produced by 18 to 25 year olds, was entirely recorded in the year of 2020 over Zoom calls, down the phone, and through WhatsApp voice messages. For this reason alone, audio quality may vary. Enjoy the ride. This is the high frequency. The COVID-19 pandemic has completely changed our day-to-day lives in 2020. with social distancing, curfews, and no mass gatherings being able to take place. The way we exist socially has been turned all the way upside down. Social distancing, lockdown up. Into lockdown. COVID-19 pandemic. It was so frustrating. All that stress. As young music fans, the idea of sweaty clubs and cozy venues are now the stuff of fantasy. However, music scenes from around the UK have gotten creative in enduring and even thriving in new ways. Today on the higher frequency, we are checking in on two scenes from across the UK. Starting in Glasgow, our correspondent Cara will be reporting on how the Glasgow busking scene has adapted under COVID-19 restrictions. Then I, Harry, will take us all the way down to Brighton to explore the innovative ways artists and DJs of the Brighton queer scene are creating art and virtual events for our community. The COVID-19 pandemic has devastated the UK and international live music sector, which has effectively been on shutdown since March, where began the cancellation of festivals, tours and gigs and the struggle of music venues up and down the country. Yet while the majority of the live music sector is still under tight lockdown restrictions, in June buskers were allowed to make their return to Britain's streets. The city of Glasgow has a particularly rich and vibrant busking scene. Over the years it's attracted world-class performers including Neil Young, Passenger, Tom Walker and Emily Sandy, who have each taken to the city streets and entertained its music-loving crowds. In normal times, local musicians hoping for their big break are often up at the crack of dawn to reserve a busking pitch on the city's famous style mile and busy street, Buchanan Street. We've been talking to members of Glasgow's busking community to find out about how it's adapted and changed in the era of coronavirus. Sarah and Junbug are an independent four-piece pop band from Scotland who are known for their earworm choruses and energetic live performances. Before lockdown, they'd recently supported Tom Walker and Emily Sandy, headlined the iconic Glasgow venue King Tut's and secured a slot to play at this year's Transmit Festival, which has been postponed due to the ongoing crisis. But when they're not performing with the full band, founding members Sarah and Junbug can usually be heard busking on the streets of Glasgow and last year featured on the BBC show Emily Sandy's Street Symphony. In the programme, Emily toured Scotland in search of the country's six best busking acts to join her and the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra in concert, with Sarah and Junbug joining Emily on stage to perform one of her songs and one of their own. I caught up with Sarah from the band to chat about how the pandemic has affected the group and Glasgow's busking scene. Sarah, this was meant to be such a big year for the band. How did you feel in March when we were put into lockdown and you could no longer rely even on busking? Looking at the news at the time like on the lead up, like knew it was kind of inevitable like we just expected them all to kind of get postponed and cancelled and 
even though they've said that things are going to just be postponed to the next year with it lasting as long as it's lasting like I highly doubt festivals are going to be the same but as it stands we are put on the we're still on the like list for next year's transmit and the other festivals we're meant to play for but it was definitely a shame because we were meant to go on tour had sold out the Glasgow day and we were selling our tickets in the Edinburgh in June buskers were allowed to return to the streets have there been any changes to Glasgow's busking scene are people more appreciative of your music because they have less access to live performances well I think it's a bit of a mixture because you've got half of the population who are like chuffed to bits to hear live music because all the gigs have been cancelled and then you've got well the few percentage of people that will moan and groan about it because they think it's a danger eh, and we're going to spread covid and then obviously the groups gathering i think people are a little bit apprehensive to put change down it's become like kind of a almost cashless society but it's been a lot more competitive like trying to get a spot in glasgow because everyone doesn't have pub gigs anymore so people are coming up from London people are I don't know people are just everybody's out with their dogs so definitely more competitive. Glasgow's music scene is generally very competitive and you guys often busk on Buchanan Street where you have to be up really early to get a prime spot so how are you finding the increased competition? Well we've been kind of dotting about like within Limit we've just been driving to other places because there's no point in getting up early in the morning to just get a spot like the money's definitely been a lot less people are given less but also there's more buskers to split around so it's just a kind of tricky time because everybody's trying to make a living in pre-covid london they'd started trialing buskers using card readers now with it becoming an increasingly cashless society is that something that you guys would consider using it's not got to the stage that we need to think about that but there's too many complications with that where if we had one card reader and then there's two bank accounts. And I think it, there would just be too much complications with it. And I like the idea that busking is people's spare change. Like, I don't really want to have people's bank details as soon as they give me a wee two pound. Like, I don't know, I, I like the sort of, you know, olden style busking because that's what it's going to be now. What do you think Glasgow's busking scene will look like in the future? Well, it's always changing, isn't it? Like, when we started, we were the little new faces and now I feel like, we're the old dogs like <laughs> I think it's just going to keep changing you know there's some good new bands coming in new new singers and everyone's really good at what they do it's just there's more variety but I think I, I don't know like it could go one of two ways people will keep doing what they're doing and it'll stay as busy or a couple of people will branch off to get you know air quotes a real job so that they're more uh, like financially stable or their or their definition of that but you really can't predict it. I don't think you can predict anything at this time. Throughout lockdown, you've written, recorded and released a new single, Wasted Time. Can you tell us a bit about that? We were fortunate enough to have the equipment that we could do some home recording. And uh, Wasted Time is written by Junebug. And we were just going over the songs for like a little demo CD that we give out when busking. And we were like, why don't we just record it with the whole band and... Uh, do it as a charity single so we're doing it for Tiny Changes charity which is set up in memory of Scott Hutchison because during lockdown it's everybody's mental health is completely like frazzling so it's just a nice wee opportunity to give back because we, if we didn't spend money making it we don't want to make money with it you know what I mean
There you go, Sarah and Junebug and their latest single, Wasted Time. Written, recorded and released over the lockdown period. That's available on all major streaming platforms. Now, another Glasgow musician who's had to adapt to these strange and uncertain times is Matthew Gibb. Matthew is a singer-songwriter who started his music career busking and has went on to win the prestigious Jim Diamond Award for Best Young Scottish Musician, performed on a number of TV shows and even played live on Radio 1. He's a crowd-pleasing entertainer who's proved to be a popular act on the local gigging scene, performing events and in the city's pubs and bars. Matthew, you're someone who's normally very active on Glasgow's music scene. Can you tell us a bit about how you've had to adapt to the current climate? To be honest, my role in the 2020 lifestyle, let's just put it that way, has really diminished in terms of a, a musical sense because most of my uh, work done musically was through uh, live performance and I'd be out every weekend playing gigs in venues, uh, pubs, bars, clubs even a change in the entire landscape of uh, the music industry in the UK has meant that all of that is unfeasible at the current moment in time. So I've really found myself having to go back to my roots, I guess, um, because I started out busking. Have there been any changes to Glasgow's busking scene that you've noticed since you returned to the streets? Everybody just seems to act as if their world hasn't changed, especially people that busk all the time whether it be COVID or no COVID, everybody's uh, like, they're, they're just getting on with their lives. And I think it's actually quite uh, quite inspiring because in the face of such a kind of a world changing event, everybody's just trying their best to carry on regardless. We were speaking to Sarah from the band Sarah and Junebug and she said that one difference she's noticed is that it's much more competitive because, as you see, so many musicians are turning to busking because that's their only outlet for performing live music. Have you found that at all? We went to Dundee one day, me and Maria Macaviti. There's three busking pitches in Dundee and it's like council recognised so you can busk in one of three places. I think they're about 100 metres away from each other and I was told by Maria that it was going to be busy. So I just went in expecting that. I grabbed the spot um, and we were lucky enough to get what a lot of people would call the best spot for that day. But... um, Sarah and Junebug decided to uh, hop along that day and they got the second spot and their friend Liam Doyle got the the third one which left a few of the Dundee local buskers pretty disgruntled when they came in and realised that all the busking spots were taken um, to the point where they tried to bully us off the the spot and they uh, they didn't really get too far with it. Despite the fierce competition you describe, have there been any moments of collaboration with other buskers during this time? Totally. Um, you can have jams with anybody. Uh, I've found myself jamming with uh, Maria, uh, with uh, Mary Jane McIver, uh, Awkward Family Portraits. That, that was an incredible day out that we had and we shared that pitch for the whole day. And at the end of one set, as we're switching over, I'd, uh, I'd get a cheeky song in with the guys and it's incredible because we were just going totally off the cuff. That really brightens up the day. 
So far, we've spoken to local musicians about their experiences of busking during the pandemic, but we couldn't do a podcast on Glasgow's busking scene without speaking to the one and only Carolyn Sleaf. Carolyn single-handedly runs Buskers of Glasgow, a not-for-profit organisation that promotes the city's buskers to a wider audience through an Instagram and Facebook page, the latter of which has a huge reach with over 44,000 likes and nearly 80,000 followers. Each day, Carolyn uploads recorded videos or live streams for people to enjoy, and while these have proven to be a hit during normal times, they become a much-needed distraction for some during this time. March was really bad. We were all told to go indoors and not come out at all. We were allowed out for one hour every single day for exercise, and I used to take that religiously, you know. I'm still working for the NHSM, so we were really stressed and panicked. Um, There was a lot of intense activity, not all of it very well organised or controlled. Um, So I was still holding down a a full-time job. With all the stress that that entailed, I was also doing it from the house. Normally what I would do at lunchtime is go out and go down Buchanan Street, listen to my friends, video them, and then maybe do the same again at at 5pm, you know, maybe catch some of the, the ones that fetch up later on. And all that stress and anxiety and panic. There was just no outlet because I couldn't get out. There was no buskers out anyway to play for because there was no audience because everything was shut down, you know, shops were shut, transport was shut, restaurants and bars were all shut. So nobody was out at all. But it meant there was a huge chunk of my life just stopped. I'm a bit of a hoarder. Lockdown wasn't a complete surprise, right? It didn't come out of absolutely nowhere. In the fortnight before, I um, saved as many videos as I can. I mean, I've always got a few videos in my phone anyway, just in case of bad weather. So I kind of eked them out. I would post one a day throughout the time. And that, that I mean, if, if you look back, you'll see that there's probably only three or four artists actually featured at the early stages of lockdown because that's all I really had. Yeah, I I continued to post every single day, I think. I don't think I missed a day. At the height of lockdown, you did a really amazing thing where you organised an online event called Buskerfest. Can you tell us a bit about this? Um, I think we've been in lockdown for just about a month. I had maintained contact with some of my best friends, some of my core group. Live streams were becoming really popular. People were just... um, doing stuff on Facebook, doing it from the living room. We got the idea from one of the pubs and what they did, which seemed really fair to us, um, which is why we copied them. They got four acts and they did a PayPal pool and just divided the money four ways that they got into the PayPal pool. And we thought, well, that's a really fair way to do things. Um, So if we get a number of acts and have them all day and we'll put up a PayPal pool link and we'll divide the money 10 ways and um, then that way everybody is working for a common goal. We had a lot of viewers throughout the day. Um, I think that all, all the buskers that were involved really enjoyed it. I mean, it was something for us to do as well, you know, like in the weeks before, we would do promotional videos and try and get as many people to come as we could, you know, promote the event and all kinds of things. And then the day of the performance, we were all really geared up for it. Everybody had a great set list. Everybody was really well prepared. Even though I was working full time, I still had huge chunks of my day where I didn't have anything to do. And back in April, we still weren't really allowed out. It was a great day. I had a really good day. I took the phone with me to the park on the on the day, you know, and just listened to the gig. And we made a bit of money and we had a good time. Chatting to Glasgow's buskers and Carolyn herself, it's evident that the Buskers of Glasgow organisation she runs has played an important role in supporting the city's musical talent during this difficult time. 
Another organisation that's doing this on a much larger and wider scale is Help Musicians. Help Musicians is an independent UK charity for professional musicians of all genres, from starting out through to retirement. They help at times of opportunity, giving people the extra support they need at a crucial stage that could make or break their career. And they also help at times of crisis. I spoke to Claire Javot, Director of Programme at Help Musicians, to find out about the work they've been doing since March. Can you give us an overview of the main services help musicians offer and an example of how that can make a big difference to the individual musician? Yes, well, help musicians, first of all, is 99 years old. So um, it was set up by Edward Elgar, nonetheless, to honour the memory of a famous opera singer at a time um, when back in the kind of in the 20s, when that person personally helped many musicians move forward in their career. So it was honouring the memory of that opera singer. And since then, um, we've been offering advice and help to professional musicians through creative development grants, health and welfare support and business skills advice. So in offering all of this, it's a kind of package of support that can help musicians thrive in their lives and in their careers. And it can make a huge difference to a musician at any point in their life or career, whether it's helping them to move forward or transition from leaving university and starting out or even kind of put you know the uh, stage of their professional career when they want to change direction or um or or even later on in life as they're older musicians thinking about retirement if there is such a thing in music in terms of demand for your services to what extent has that increased during the coronavirus period in comparison to normal times that's a really important question in terms of normal normal time. So in a normal year, we would normally reach through our um, our program of support. We'd normally reach about twelve thousand musicians across all of our grant program, across all of our advice and support, whether that's through Music Minds Matter or whether it's um, through our funded um, schemes. We've seen a marked increase of about ninety three percent in the numbers of applications we've received this year compared to the whole of last year. And we've made nearly more than 50% more awards in our creative funding to date. So that's a huge difference compared to last year. Um, in terms of funding, we've given out nearly £11 million in financial hardship support um, and over half a million in our creative grants. So we really recognise that in these exceptional times, the majority of musicians have been left without any income since the start of lockdown back in March. And so the demand for our services has really reflected what's happened over the last six, seven months um, compared to you know, a, normal, a normal year without a pandemic. How does the help that you've been able to provide compare to the demand that you've seen? The demand that we've seen is, is really has at the very beginning was really about hardship support. So it was really about how do you um, how do you respond to that initial um, lockdown moment when so many musicians found you know, within within a few days that their livelihoods had been cut off when when live live stopped stopped being an option in terms of lockdown. So we've seen a huge demand, particularly around hardship funding and that kind of continuous support. And particularly after the first initial phase of support, which was really just to get some um, emergency funding out to people as quickly as possible. The second phase of our hardship support was much more longer term because it really recognised that. Um, musicians were really struggling to make ends meet and and didn't have a huge amount of resource to fall back on, either through their own savings or even in certain circumstances, those who are falling through the cracks of government support. 
So our second phase of hardship support really focused on getting musicians from June all the way through until October. Um, so I think that kind of that difference of the majority of our funds going out this year on hardship support has definitely been um, because of the pandemic. Have you seen any regional differences? Have there been any specific hotspots where people are really requiring the funding? Um, I mean, as a national charity, we reach musicians all over the whole of the UK. Um, but I suppose obviously London is a hotspot with about a third of our funding for financial hardship going towards musicians who are living or working in the capital. But we're also reaching musicians in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and the reach there is comparable to the population size of those nations. In our creative funding, we've often found that the northeast, the northwest of England, uh, with Manchester, Leeds, uh, Liverpool, those kinds of cities being well represented in our in applications and also awards that we make. So I would say that you know those those kind of bigger cities, those bigger conurbations across the UK, um, particularly in the northeast and northwest. Um, but and, and of course London, but also in the nations, Glasgow and Belfast are hotspots for us. Is there any more funding on the horizon and what would the criteria for that be? So yes, there is funding available right now. We have our third phase of hardship funding, which is open to, which is now open for new applications. So that's support for those people in the most um, significant financial need, which will help people all the way through until early next year into March 2021. Um, we also have creative funding. So we have our mobile awards for musicians, which is all about creating music um, from genres which represent music of black origin. Transmission funding, which is all about the skills that you might learn from a short course or from someone else. For example, if you want to produce your own music or attend an online songwriting academy or get some mentoring from someone to help you navigate an important career transition, Transmission can give you that support through a grant and also do it differently funding which is a grant to release and promote your music all of those awards come with a package of tailored business advice and support for health and welfare too tailored to the individual so we recommend that you go to our website and check out all of those funding programs and if you want to ask any questions there are um, always faqs there's always a um, some tailored advice sessions that you can attend particularly for our creative funds we recommend that you get in touch with the team, book yourself into a one-to-one surgery and all the details of how to do that and how to apply and our application forms and guidance documents are all on our website, helpmusicians.org.uk. It's clear from talking to Claire from Help Musicians and to members of Glasgow's busking community that local music scenes up and down the country are having to find new ways to adapt to the COVID-19 restrictions. Our music journalist Harry has been tracing the effects of the pandemic on clubs in Brighton and its queer nightlife scene. Brighton is considered a queer haven along England's south coast and a focal point of a thriving queer scene is its nightlife. As we continue to lock down out of care and safety for one another, enduring this pandemic together, Brighton's nightlife community has had to adapt and find new ways of existing. I was fortunate enough to speak with established and emerging nightlife artists and DJs alike, talking to them about the digitisation of queer nightlife and their hopes for the future of the Brighton scene. First, I spoke to the wonderful Zandis, who makes up one half of the queer nightlife mainstay Gal Pals. 
Hailing from Brighton in London, Gal Powers plays music exclusively by women, except the iconic Soldier Boy and Vroom Vroom remix, If You Know, You Know. Women and non-binary focused nightlife is hard to come by in the UK, even in Brighton. The specific rarity of such an event has fostered a loyal community that now show up for Gal Powers virtual nights that they throw regularly on Zoom and Twitch. I spoke to Zandis about how such a space came to be and its significance in keeping the spirit of queer nightlife alive. I wanted to start by going back to March. So on the 17th of March, you announced your London party at the end of the month was to be cancelled. And then just 10 days later, you were throwing the first Gal Powers virtual party. What was that adaptive process like? It's really funny thinking about it because I think there were so many things flying around at the time that we've like really tried to think like what happened there? Like what was in our head? Like why did we decide to do this um, like online and stuff? But if I cast my mind back to the 17th, by that point, um, me and Scarlett who run Gal Pals, we've both been like social distancing for nearly a week. Cause we were like, clearly this isn't, <laughs> this is going left and they're not going to do anything anytime soon. And at that point we, we thought like we were going to have to cancel um, the party that was going to be in London at the end of the month there had been such a big build-up to that party because we've been running for five years now and we've had several different venues in London um and that was like a new venue and really just like kind of fit all of the criteria that we wanted outside of a basement for the first time it's accessible like massive like lots of bars and just like a really lovely big dance floor for everyone to like actually be able to be together on so we were really excited for that and we sold loads of tickets and everyone was seen really excited for it. So to have to cancel it was quite a blow. It was like quite a, it was kind of devastating at the time, to be honest, because it's something that we really look forward to doing is our monthly, our monthly parties. So um, when we were faced with that, when we like sat down and were like, okay, we're going to cancel this. What do we do now? We realised that we still wanted to kind of ride the momentum that we had, like that kind of excitement and enthusiasm that we saw from everyone who was looking forward to coming. And we just thought, how can we create a space like just like connect with people anyway? Yeah, then the official lockdown had started by that point. So it was like, okay, actually, <laughs> this is even more necessary. Like, how do we feel connected to everybody again? So I think... Uh, yeah, just the time in between the announcement and the first party was just basically me figuring out the tech of everything. <laughs> it's so wildly adaptive in those 10 days amidst all of the kind of COVID panic and new information, how you were able to take the energy that you had and put it into this virtual space is so admirable and meant so much to the other kind of clientele, I guess, the people attending. Like, we all really appreciated it and needed it in those early months. Speaking of that kind of momentum that Gal Powers has, just over a year ago, you were featured in a wonderful article on Vice by Daisy Jones about London's queer and femme nightlife renaissance. Do you see the vibrant energy and excitement around our scene being transferable into digital spaces or is it on pause? I think it's a combination. I think there are people who really need those spaces and want to tap into them virtually as well. And there are people who are taking this time as like a break. Uh, and maybe they don't rely on the spaces as much, but I don't think that it will lose any steam. I'm just expecting us to come back like bigger and better, like all of the the scene, like everybody just coming out to see each other and just to be around each other again. And I think it's a real testament to uh, 
the necessity of these kind of spaces within queer like nightlife and queer communities um, to see that they've transferred online. Like they wouldn't if there wasn't a demand, if there wasn't a need, if there wasn't something that needed to be met. So I think about um, kind of mainstream uh, cis heteronormative uh, club culture. There are like lots of like DJ sets and like, but they've kind of been going anyway, like online, like kind of boiler room stuff. Uh, but the community aspect is something that I've seen more internationally, like amongst like in the, within the queer community. So if I think about like big online club nights, they're going to be queer. I can't, I can't think of any <laughs> there. I can think of maybe a couple, but that aren't specifically queer, but it's just not the same. And that, so I, I think that the fact that people have come together in that way um, and maybe, I don't know, even felt even more connected in that way. Like I've, felt through Gaupals that we've been able to connect more internationally than we ever would have been because we can't throw parties in France or (laughs) or in Australia or whatever but we've had people from all over tuning in all sorts of times of the day just because they can finally actually get a a feel of what it's like and so even if we're disconnected in a local sense maybe our international community or sense of community has grown which has been incredible. Even from the jump, one of the first comments I saw on like your cancellation post for that London event was someone who lives outside of the UK um, who expressed their excitement to finally attend a Gal Pals event. Has there been much connectivity like this in the virtual club space? Absolutely. It's, um, it's great because I think, like I said, there's obviously like, there's pros and cons to like online and in uh, IRL spaces. I like that I say IRL now is the... <laughs> We just spend so much of our, our life online. So, but there are there are pros and cons. And something that I I think has been really nice is that by doing gal pals online, you can see people who are able to join a space on their own terms within their own space that they're comfortable in. So, if it's in their bedroom, if it's in their living room, if it's away from people that they live with, maybe they're not out to. They're still able to tune in and plug into something. Uh, and it, it kind of like has felt like a bit of a sandbox for a lot of people too I think I mean it's hard as the DJing you can't like uh, like <laughs> get involved in the chat and stuff as much but you can still see people who you know maybe are a bit shy and then they come back and they keep coming and maybe that's like a lot of people's first foray into uh, tapping into you know queer spaces like in that way so that's going to be a nice thing it's like it's not as um scary or punitive to try and to just log on to a zoom and then instead of having to take yourself somewhere by yourself sometimes uh and and you know try and enjoy the space so that's kind of (laughs) cool the energy of the last one that i went to at least like people were going mad like it was (laughs) it was incredible so thank you for facilitating that madness i think we all that's okay you guys at galpals do amazing work that's really admirable of making it a safe and inclusive environment with your pin pals and kind of your anti-harassment work is amazing. But in club spaces, there's always a risk, like you never know um, what's going to happen, like someone will have a bad night no matter what the space, there can never truly be uh, a 100% safe space in a club environment. But in the virtual space, we can create that. we're in the comfort of our own homes, you know, in our bedrooms, there's a safety there and like you can just log in, log out whenever you want. And it's just, you grant access to who is allowed in the space. You have more control in the situation. And also we've like had so much feedback as well from like disabled people who've been able to come 
in a way or experience it in a way that they haven't before and like that's also something that I just really feel really like I'm really happy that 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 happened because it means that there are elements that I want to be able to continue once we are able to return to the club so if there's a way that we can get some um, pin pals and we can do like a live stream of the set that we're playing in the club and still create a zoom space for people then people can still tune in yeah completely I think it's so exciting how how these virtual club spaces have really changed access for nightlife like I know uh, events like queer house party and interviews I've heard with them they've said they're going to do this forever now like make sure that there's a virtual component to any nightlife event they put on which I think is so amazing for the access it grants I wondered from my experience of the virtual club I get so engrossed in my screen, like get a little bit drunk, get very carried away. um, And then it just ends. There's no walk home to sober me up or anything like that. I just wondered what that experience is like, the kind of coming down from it after the adrenaline of the virtual club night, what that's like for the host. Usually, usually just very sweaty because it's just so it's but I think it's all the lights too because we have like this wi-fi light bulb that changes color and we have like the disco lights and it's just a bit it just gets very warm in the room because you're also dancing a lot I've actually quite enjoyed just the very short walk to my bed after a set (laughs) that's like the one novelty that I won't I won't uh I won't miss or I will miss what would you say the kind of major differences are between the virtual and the club space feels so 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 different to DJing in the club in the club you have that feedback you see people dancing in front of you and it's a much smaller screen and I can tell that people are dancing but I'm also trying to focus on DJing and I think that it produces a different kind of thing because you usually when you're on a zoom call you're like attentive and you're trying to pay attention to what's happening but when you're just playing out to people you I still have that thing of wanting to see what people think I want to talk to people everyone's having like just bounce on the chat and I just want to get involved but I'm also like I also have to play so thank you so much to Zanders for speaking to me gal pals will continue to throw their parties throughout the long cold winter months just go to at gal pals on instagram to find out when their next party is I very much enjoy existing in the digital realm I think it's something that I'm very glad to be alive during So much current music journalism has been focused on how those already known in the industry, established in their scene, have adapted their craft and livelihood under the pandemic. But what about the emerging artists on the scene? I spoke to electronic art witch Varsha about what it was like to have their live debut just before lockdown and the increased digitisation of queer art. It was 10th of March, which was 10 days before lockdown happened and... I think everyone was really excited afterwards because it was it was an after party for a queer art gallery opening basically so it was just a showcase of lots of different type of queer talent in the city and loads of people came together and then yeah a week later it was like nothing would ever happen again so yeah I'm really hoping that the excitement can be picked up. Do you think it's going to return queer nightlife with like the utmost energy? I think it will return with the utmost energy as long as everyone keeps keeps this momentum going and remembers how important it is because no matter how much nightlife is suffering because of this, I feel that queer nightlife is going to suffer tenfold because 
of how hard it is to get an actually queer venue. A lot of the time, you know, you're hiring a venue for an event, but the venue itself isn't necessarily very kind of LGBTQ plus inclined. The nightlife in Brighton needs to be more queer. It's what we need as a queer community because so much of it is commercialised and branded for the tourists that come here for the weekend. I think that, yeah, we need to take more ownership of the nightlife here um, and give more opportunities, give more platforms to all the undiscovered talent, which I guess is what Figurations was back in March um, and will continue to be if if it carries on, which I really hope it does. As a kind of an emerging um, act and artist, um, I wondered what how you're finding and coping with lockdown, because obviously for people with platforms and things, they can kind of adapt to virtual club spaces. What's it like for right. someone who had their kind of debut? And then how has that um, influenced your creative process and what you've been able to do next? I mean, it was so frustrating at first and I tried to, you know, I tried not to think about it too much. But yeah, I I ended up seeing it as more of a blessing in the sense of, okay, I've done my first live show, but now I have months to perfect that moment for when I can finally properly do it again. Um, without a platform or like a big following, it does feel kind of pointless doing kind of online live stuff all the time. So I'm just going, I'm, what I'm doing now is kind of really honing in on my voice, my style, and just developing loads of different techniques and just being more comfortable in the live setting so that when that happens next, I'm going to be much more confident and I won't just spend the whole time kind of staring down whilst performing and I can actually kind of incorporate queer performance into what I make as opposed to just sort of like playing the keyboard, you know, playing drum pads. It would be nice to actually, yeah, feel a bit more loose and comfortable on the stage. Does your work feel largely affected by lockdown or is existing primarily in the digital a place you want to be? I think it, yeah, that's kind of how I began was existing in a digital space. I kind of carved a space for myself online and just sort of sat there and decorated it almost. I'm so, I'm quite DIY in the way I work. So I'll only like rely on someone if I'm like obsessed with them and I have to have them work with me. Other than that, I will always try and find a way to do something myself. But yeah, without the live scene, it does kind of feel like you do all this stuff and then it's like, what's it for? Because essentially there's nothing quite like feeling the music in your body and being around other people that enjoy that music. It does kind of feel like the ultimate reason why you make music in the first place. However, like visually with like my films and stuff, you can't make mistakes. It's, it's, it's whatever you make it. Um, having debuted your live show in the Brighton scene, do you have any hopes for the future of the scene while the venues remain closed or when they eventually reopen? What I would like to see in our city is a more consistent scene um, and maybe some venues that are kind of queer reliable so that you know you can go there and it's always going to be not only an exciting queer time but also... I think that a lot of the time in Brighton, you go somewhere and you know exactly what you're going to get. But the after party for Figurations was quite a shock to a lot of people that went. And I love that. It was a shock to me as well. It was it was really cool to see people dancing to my music because I didn't know that I the music I made was dance. What I would like to see is for that to be 
just much more regular and for for the nightlife here to actually cater to the queer community and not just be upheld by it. Can we expect any new music on the horizon from Vasha? Yes, very soon there will be a sort of mixtape of just sort of like unfinished music. Sort of snippets and demos kind of stitched together to make a sort of 17-minute piece of music. If the tantalising sounds of Varsha have piqued your interests, be sure to follow them on Instagram at InfraredGoth, stream their music on Spotify or buy it at varsha.bandcamp.com. Being able to glimpse back into queer nightlife spaces has provided a much-needed escape for me during lockdown, making me very grateful for Brighton's scene and its individual artists. Beyond those I've spoken to, the beloved monthly party Polyglamorous is adapting to a sit-down drag extravaganza. A little mixed drag troupe has been formed by some of the city's most beloved queens. And artists such as Zandis and Vasha continue to make space and work with our community in mind. Whether it's emerging artists or nightlife mainstays, the queer nightlife community continue to show its resilience and versatility here in Brighton. Up and down the UK, the COVID pandemic of 2020 has affected the music industry in a vast number of ways. But looking to the future, we hope that people will gain a greater appreciation for local music scenes and hopefully strive to support them further after the pandemic. I've been Cara Conway. Thanks to our journalist, Harry Lindsay. This episode was produced by Jack Davenport. This was a youth music podcast led by Femi Oriogon Williams from Boldface. Thanks to Notion Magazine for being the official media partner of this podcast. Next time on The Higher Frequency. In each of the issues that we're facing right now, in each of these social justice issues that we're trying to redress, you're essentially asking the people in power to give away that power for no other reason than, you know, you're appealing to their humanity. And that's hard. <laughs> that's hard. And, and a lot of people aren't ready to do that. You're, you're asking for a lot of maturity and particularly because of the capitalist ideals that we've all been growing up on.